0: Okay. Welcome back to the show, everybody. I have an awesome episode in store for you guys. I am joined by the one and only Brian Godawa. He doesn't need much of an introduction with my audience, but we're going to go over a couple amazing things that is going on with Brian right now. He just released a book on September 12th, Cruel Logic. Brian, welcome to the show, man. It's great to have you here. Thanks for having me on, Rod. Absolutely. So let's jump right into it, man. What stirred what was stirring up in you to to get you to want to write this philosophical killer novel i mean this is epic what was going on in your mind yeah i
1: call it a theological thriller Hmm. reason why is because it's basically a psychological criminal thriller psychological crime thriller but i'm definitely dealing with um i'm definitely telling a story from a very unique perspective that probably hasn't been done as much um in the way that I'm doing it, in that I'm sort of engaging in some philosophical uh, dialogue within the thriller genre, which, mm-hmm. you know, um, risky to say the least, but um, people have been finding it to be exciting so far. So, the basic principle of or premise of the story is "Cruel Logic, the Philosopher Killer. That's the title. And the premise is that it's a story of a serial killer on a woke university campus. And so this guy is basically, he's a professor who's a brilliant professor, philosophy professor, Mm -hmm. but he's also a serial killer. And what he does is he captures university professors and he debates them and videotapes the debate. And the topic of the debate is his moral right to kill them. So he'll ask, you know, he'll, he'll ask him something like, okay, if what you say is true about reality, give me one valid reason why I should not kill you. And I'll mm-hmm. let it go. In other words, he's plumbing their moral theories and their their theories of ethics, and yeah. each of the various professors—you know, evolutionary biologist, uh, trans queer theorist, uh, you know, feminist—all these various uh, worldviews um, I'm exploring in in through the the story in the novel, and um, mm-hmm. at the same time that this is happening, I'm. Show, telling the story also of a evangelical Christian who goes to—he's a freshman, first year at a fictional mm-hmm. you know, California campus—and he's introduced to social justice, and it draws him in. And we see a lot of, well, we see everything that's going on on the college campus these days with um, whether it's DEI, diversity, equity, and inclusion tr- um, indoctrination. Queer theory, trans ideology, all the protests, BLM, Antifa, all the stuff that's been going on on campuses in in this last um, decade or so—I've sort of bring bring to bear on the story because that's the context of what this is going—that of what this is taking place. And I was inspired by the notion of the idea that Western civilization is no longer taught. In most universities, the curriculum, like many universities for decades, had had at least a basic Western civ requirement. Uh, You know, maybe they would take some classes, a series of classes, is all. It was part of the basic requirements. You know, learning the the history of Western philosophy, Western civilization, and culture, music, some things like that. And that's all been done away with in, in the context of the modern woke university because. The the um, higher education has been captured by this you know um, this neo Marxist um, left wing paradigm that has reduced reality to oppressed and oppressor and all this stuff that's going on and what does that lead to uh, you know I I've been I've thought a lot about it a lot about you know what happens when you when you take God out of a culture. What happens when you get rid of Western civilization, and that is what the higher education has been doing—is it's been seeking to get rid of Western civilization because it conceives Western civilization as the um, as an oppressed an oppressor worldview of racism, sexism, homophobia. And, uh, and all the other phobies you can imagine, right. And patriarchy. And ultimately they believe that Western civilization, they understand that Western civilization is rooted on Judeo-Christian values. And so there, the, the university is up, has uprooted all this. And I've thought a lot about well, what happens when you do that. And on the surface you think, oh, you know, we're getting rid of all this oppression and all this fundamentalism or whatever. But what are you really getting rid of? When you take away the foundation of civilization, what are you going to get? And so the th- one of the dominant themes in uh, crew logic is ideas have consequences. And so, I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm wrestling at the higher level with these big ideas and concepts, but it's very related to our everyday life. And of course, it's in the context of this thriller, serial killer, where a cop and a psychologist who who is hunting down this, this killer. And the psychologist is kind of like a Jordan Peterson character. He's actually a professor at the university trying to bring back Western civilization. And so he's we're seeing through his eyes this, this battle for the soul of the of education, but really of society itself, right? Of civilization itself. So that's, that's the big picture themes that I'm wrestling with. But on that, on that personal level, it's these, this cop and the psychiatrist trying to track down this killer. And at the same time, uh, an evangelical Christian is brought into social justice. And how does that whole paradigm tend to, uh, seduce people and draw them into, to, to thinking that way. And I think that it's rooted a lot in the Ill equipment of a lot of Christians these days to deal with real skepticism and doubts and such, but also I think that there is a component of this woke campus culture that learns how to manipulate the desire in people for compassion. You know, we want to love people, we want to accept people, even if we disagree with them, and so it's it's learned how to manipulate that conscience in order to try to. Um, uh, uh, drive them into guilt, into doing what they're supposed to do—that kind of a thing. So that's the that's the big story introduction to it all.
0: Wow, that that's amazing. I, I want to talk a little bit about like character development for one second. So like you're you're zooming out, big picture. These are big topics. They're relevant. We need to be going here. Thank God that we have you to do this for for us as podcasters, as listeners, as just people that are in a nutshell, wrestling with these topics ourselves. So let's talk about character development here. Um, When when you're writing this book, what was the inspiration like as these characters are developing to enter into these, these very controversial
1: topics? Yeah. Well, you know what? I I come from Hollywood, so I love entertainment and I believe entertainment. So while I have a, why I have that higher level interest in these things uh, the bottom line is, is you got to tell a great thriller story. And, you know, one of my biggest inspirations of all time has been Silence of the Lambs, mm-hmm. as well as the movie Seven. Those are my two favorite thrillers. And I sort of write within that direction and from that perspective and that kind of, you know, dealing with the scares and the fright, but not going gory, too gory or, or too extreme, but, but wrestling with that, that primal human nature. You know, and evil—the problem of evil, and 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 the desire in human nature, and how that works itself out. But so my main characters end up being, um, like I said, this this uh, character um, Joseph Callinger is his name. He's a, a professor of psychology, and he's like a Jordan Peterson, and so he's trying to bring back Western civilization into the university. And of course, he's being attacked by all the students. By and and he enters into all the politics of the university. You know, when when you go against the grain and when you go against the establishment, what do they do? They try to take you out. They try to they try to uh, cancel you. So they're trying to cancel him and and get rid of him and accuse him of things. So basically, I have what goes on on these modern day campuses. I actually drew from real. Events that have been happening in the in the last years that you can read about in the news, you know, you've got issues like the Evergreen University, where, you know, famous secular professors Brett Weinstein and, and his wife, you know, stood up to the mob of student protesters who were racists trying to force white people to uh, white professors not to come in and teach white not to have white people even on campus for that whole day. And they got shut down and canceled because they, ref- they refused to follow that racist um, thought um, or, you know, that racist demand. But yet this is the kind of thing that's going on in a lot of universities, right? And so then the students did became violent in their protests. And some of the um, uh, professors were actually um, endangered at, at moments, you know, because of their, their violence as well as you know, BLM and Antifa and the, the kind of things that they are doing all over the country. So I'm bringing in all these components of our culture, and I'm basing them all on what's really been going on. So when you read this story in Crew Logic, it's not going to be outrageous things that I've made up. It's going to be, this is stuff in the news. In fact, I've even footnoted some of it because I've, I've sort of wanted people to realize, you know, this is not crazy stuff I'm making up. This is really going on. And I just want you to know that, mm-hmm. but you can enjoy the story and, and be entertained by it and hopefully have the thrills and chills that, that, that a good thrill is supposed to have. Um, so yeah, so I, so I've, I've been inspired by Silence of Lands. Lambs. My, my main killer, Charles Cullen is a brilliant philosophy professor. So he comes from that that background he's an Englishman so he's got that English accent and which I have in the audiobook as well um, but and then then the character is evangelical Christian and you know my goal was to to tell a story of I've been really sort of moved by what's called Christian deconstruction or Christian deconversion this is happening a lot now where Christians will go to college and they'll lose their faith uh, but of course, that's been happening ever since we've had schools, right? But recently, that's just been a phenomenon, I think, because of podcasts. A lot of people have started their podcasts, and they share their stories. And a lot of them are Christian celebrities, Christian musicians, or what have you, right? And so they're telling their stories about how they lost their faith. And And I think that it's really sad because um, this is an issue that I think all Christians have to wrestle with. And dealing with the doubts in their life and the troublesome things like evil, you know, how how can there be a God with such evil going on in this world? How could He let this go? You know that kind of thing, and and to honestly wrestle with these issues, and that's what I do through this character, Danny, and as he also gets introduced to uh, the social justice movement, how he gets sucked into it, because I think a lot of that is connected. And my my contention is that a lot of Christians today. Um, we're, will, we're really ill equipped to deal with doubts and skepticism. And so, for instance, a lot of churches, you know, they'll tell you all about Jesus and your prayer life and church and, and reading the Bible and the Bible's the Word of God, but they won't really give you the, um, the background to defend that. It's sort of like, just believe, just have faith, you know? And what happens is these Christians will then go to college and they'll, you know, they're taught, just believe the Bible's the Word of God, every word's perfect. And the trouble is, is that it's not, it's not that way. It's the word of God, but it's not perfect. The, 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 um, translations are not perfect in the way that you would expect them to be, but they're not told this. So when they go to college, they get introduced to Bart Ehrman and they see the facts that have been hidden by Christians because they're afraid to deal with it, which is transmission errors and all these kinds of issues. There are apologetics Uh, People who deal with this stuff, but not a lot of Christians know much about it. So when they get introduced to it, they lose their faith because these are facts that you can't deny. But they go against what what they've been taught is what the Bible is. So they've been misdirected, misinformed, miseducated, and they're not equipped to be able to deal with atheism, with skepticism, and doubts in a real deep way. And I think this is part of the reason. Part of the reason why they're losing their faith is that. The other part is. Also, uh, I think the sociology of a lot of Christianity—you know, with the seeker, seeker-sensitive churches focusing more on trying to be relevant rather than truth-oriented—and I think also not dealing with some of the personal issues that are, shall we say, the dirty little secrets that that many Christians struggle with, but we don't hear a lot about, mm-hmm. such as pornography. So I have my character in the story actually r- struggling with pornography in an honest, frank way. So I'm not here to make – I'm not here to write cliches or stereotypes. I want to be honest with all my characters. And the Christian character has his struggles, has his sins, has his issues, but he's not a, a fake person. He's not some, you know, judgmental, fundamentalist homophobe running around, oh, you're going to hell, you know. No. He's not yeah. a genuine Christian, oh. but he just – has a, a faith that's not really founded on much of anything and which makes him easy prey. And, um, you know, by the same token, you know, I seek to show this woke university, what it's like on the woke campus. But again, I'm not coming up with extreme scenarios to make the the, ba- the bad guy look evil, look extremely evil. And, you know, like the kind of thing that they do with Christians, you know, the handmaid's tale, right? So, oh, Look at the dystopia that the handmaids tell this Christians <laughs> got in control of the country. Look what they would yeah. do. And like none of it looks Man. like anything that any Christians think or believe, right? That's yeah. so absurd. And it's f- amazing how people buy it because of their prejudices and biases. So I don't want to be like that. I want to be honest, even to the to the viewpoints that I don't necessarily agree with. And to this, what's it like? What's going on in the woke universities? What's really going on? Wow. And so therefore, I also show. What is drawing people? Not just what's bad about it, but what is it that's good about it that is making people being drawn into it? And how do these things interplay? And what's, wow. what's really going on? So yeah, I don't try to make straw men or cliches. I mm. really, uh, my goal as a storyteller is to be honest and frank about every viewpoint in the story mm. so that even though I definitely have a viewpoint as a storyteller, I want to. uh Depict all the different viewpoints, all the different kinds of people that there are, as best as possible, and not yeah. slander them as you know cliches and stereotypes, which is what most people do to their Christian characters when they're attacking Christianity and, and stories and such. I don't want to do that back to them, you know. I want to tell a good story and one that might might at least draw people in with a with an honesty that that I hope will will ring true.
0: Superlative. That's amazing, Brian. It's just a couple things that stood out. It's like how many men in the church deal with struggling with pornography? So as people are going to be reading this, they're going to identify struggles that yeah. they've either had in the past or are currently dealing with. So it's really going to emotionally tie them in now. And just it's it's phenomenal. You, you covered so much there. And we don't really have anybody else that, that I'm aware of that is bringing into a it right into your home into your lap real life issues that are taking place real time under our news, where we can take this journey through a non-bias but but Christian perspective and, and I think it's it's crazy cool that you know this guy is hitting up the campuses and just taking out you know all these false ideologies because it's kind of like that's what the gospel really does at the heart of it and it's phenomenal phenomenal so Now, don't get me wrong. He's a bad guy. He's the villain, Uh, and he's not just making a philosophical
1: point. I'm not going to reveal the twists that occur in the story. There are definitely Mm -hmm. he's he's there's more to the story than just that. And um, but that's where it begins. That's that's the sort of premise. You know, I I actually got this idea from a a Christian apologist that I love to listen to Mm. years ago. He was back in the '60s and '70s. He was famous. His name was Walter Martin.
0: Oh, okay. and
1: Walter Martin—he wrote *Kingdom of the Cults*. Anyway, he was a rascal. He was a—he—he um, he had a good sense of humor. That's why I liked him. And so he was talking on this old radio show that I was listening to, and he was describing his frustration with some atheists. One in particular, he was debating with. And he was trying to say, "Hey, look, look—you know—he's like." he's he's like, you know, your atheism doesn't provide a foundation for morality. He's like, what are you talking about? I believe in morality. I believe murder is wrong and I don't believe in God. He's like, yeah, that you, true, you do, but you don't have a foundation for it because your atheism is contradictory. And he got so frustrated that the atheist couldn't think about his thinking. You know, he couldn't realize what's the foundation of what I'm thinking. And so he just got so frustrated. He got to the point, he's like, okay, look, it's 1940s, I'm a Nazi with a gun pointed at you. You're a Jew. Give me one reason why I shouldn't shoot you. You know, and that always stuck with me. It haunted me for years because I felt that was a that was a powerful, dramatic way to incarnate the moral argument for the existence of God. In other words, you know, we can make these logical arguments, and and um, and they're legitimate, they're valid, but but in some ways, if you can embody a, a concept or an argument into a human dramatic story, it could be more powerful and it can hit home in a more powerful way, just like a, an analogy or a, a metaphor, right? And that's kind of what that did for me. It's like, wow, that really encapsulates encapsulates the, the moral problem that atheists really have because they will attack Christianity. You know, if there's a loving God, if there's if he's all powerful and all-loving, then why is there evil, right? And yet, the truth is, is wait a minute, wait a minute. You're, you, you atheist, you're the one that has the real problem, because if there's no God, why are you calling anything evil? Why do you have a problem with murder? Why? why there is no such thing as evil. There, everything is permissible, at Dos, as Dostoyevsky had said, right? And and interestingly, I find Dostoevsky's, you know, uh, his sort of um, expression of this same argument in Brothers Karamazov. Was one of the best expressions of it with Ivan debating Alyosha about, you know, this, this, you know, a- against the love of God. You know, how could a loving God create a world in which this girl is beat up and tortured and raped by her own parents and smeared with excrement, right? And it's just this horror that he, but he, he really captures the profound um, uh, uh, emotional movement and, and psychological disturbance that evil should give all of us, including Christians. So I'm actually trying to wrestle through with this problem of evil and God's existence. And how do these things coexist in a world? Um, I want to wrestle with it honestly, because I do believe it's the universal uh, conundrum or it's the universal struggle in all of our hearts. And as you get older, as the lo- more I live, the more I become acutely aware of the suffering and evil that's in the world and how unjust it is in, in many levels, right? And I think that that when you have that concern, and you're and you think through, if you're an honest person, you're going to say, "Hey, look, this does cause me trouble. It's not easily answered, just like that." Um, and so, I want to I want to wrestle through with that issue too, on that deep human, psychological, and spiritual uh, level.
0: So, what do you hope that, like, let's just say, a non believer would take away, big picture, and and even personally, like, what kind of goes through your mind? And then let's let's make this a two part that with a Christian. What are you really wanting them to see highlighted, big picture, and what is your hope through the this story to to really grasp them deep on the inside? Um, Yeah, I don't know. I mean, that's
1: an interesting question. Do you know? I don't know. I guess I don't know if I have a specific. If I have a specific thing I want a an unbeliever to know or get out of it or a believer when I write a story like this I come at it from you know as we mentioned these big picture issues and so I'm wrestling with a deep multifaceted multi-perspectival issue I'm actually rather than seeking to prove something or seeking to make my readers see something i'm seeking as a storyteller to honestly enter into the story enter into the issues that i'm that i'm wrestling with and to try to explore it from many different viewpoints and to be truthful and honest about them and fair so don't get me wrong as a storyteller i definitely have a viewpoint but in order to be a good storyteller i want to uh, even if I have opposing viewpoints, I want to show the best of those viewpoints in a story, because people embody uh, these viewpoints in the way they live and the choices they make, the moral choices they make, right? And like I said, I, I'm not out to um, make—I'm not out to uh, you know make paint stereotypes and cliches and, and political propaganda. I want to—I want to wrestle with the human condition in an honest way, and that means, you know, giving. Giving your opponents their fair shake, so to speak, you know, depict all the varying viewpoints with the best they have got, and then seek to try to tell a story of how I think this sh- this can work out, how I think this works out in the real world, because the the ultimate, you know, one of the dominant themes in the story is ideas have consequences. So if you really lived consistently with some of these ideas that people have, what would it really look like? I think many people really do have a lot of beliefs. And they're very convicted about them, whether believers or unbelievers, it, it doesn't matter. They have strong convictions. But I found actually both Christian and non-Christians have not thought through a lot of their beliefs. They'll believe contradictory things, you know, and um, they're not really they really haven't thought it through. And but while while I am intrigued by philosophy, by worldview thinking, I also understand that not everyone thinks in those terms, not everyone cares about philosophy or you know theology, right? And so I' also have that dual interest in like I say, entertainment, drama, thrillers, you know I love that kind of stuff, and so I figure, you know what let me let me tell a story that it combines both my interests and maybe people will be drawn in to to something that's a little different and and sort of uh, make things interesting, you know.
0: And who's your favorite character that, that you wrote about? Who Like when you were writing from, you know, you're talking about all these other perspectives, like you wanted to give everybody a fair shake and just have a brief, good overview that just connects all these things together. But who was your personal favorite to write about?
1: Well, yeah, no, that's a good question. I do have a favorite. Um, so like I said, I, I have all these different, you know, professor characters, right? And again, I, I don't... I don't seek to make them into cliches, you know. I I do try to paint characters that are common in in these various fields. You know, there are certainly patterns of behavior, patterns of look and dress, right? You know, just like nerds look very similar, jocks look very similar, right? So so there are very many professors who also look very similar, but but that's a shallow understanding. My goal was to sort of capture that a, a common. Archetype, so to speak, of each of these different characters, but my personal favorite character was the um, was the main protagonist of the story, which is Joseph Callinger. Like I said, he he is a a professor of of psychology, and what I like about him is he represents a kind of a Jordan Peterson character to me. And this is also something I've noticed is there is there are um, it's almost like another there's almost like a backlash against this woke anti-Western civilization movement, there's more um, intelligent men who are standing up up and fighting for Western civilization, including fighting for the Judeo-Christian. They understand that there's a Judeo-Christian basis to it and that we get rid of this at our peril, right? But interestingly, a lot of these men are not even Christians, so they're sort of, you know, like a Jordan Peterson where, well, he certainly has a kind of a belief, but he's said so himself that it, it's, not the, it's not the typical sort of the way we understand having uh, sort of an evangelical understanding of, you know, having a personal relationship with God. And, um, and, but there's others like Douglas Murray, you know, who defends Western civilization. And I love these guys. Tom Holland, they write about this stuff, but I find it so interesting. They're not Christians and so I, I wanted to figure, what's it like to be that kind of a person you know and 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 where might that lead you know um, and what's the difference Why is it that they can believe in Western civilization, believe that judeo-Christian you know Bible worldview is good for society and yet still not believe it for themselves what does that what is that like and what what might that end in you know and um, so that was my personal favorite. Journey because I literally was trying to understand. I because I, I, I'm I'm a Christian and so I'm like, how could you be for all this stuff and yet not fully embrace it? And in in terms of the faith and and uh, it's sort of like you believe it but you don't believe it. I don't understand that you know. And this isn't a yeah. this isn't a. I don't say this is a criticism. Mm. I love these guys. I, I have utter respect for them. I just truly don't understand. And I wanted to try to understand that. And that that was the most interesting uh, part of my writing for me personally
0: fascinating yeah i mean you have so so many previous popular series you know the chronicles of the nephilim uh, i mean just you you have so much uh, ferocity in in your writing that just is it's the ripple effect is uh can't really determine it brian it's it's fascinating just to hear you talk because it uh, as many people have been affected by this it's it's amazing so uh, do you are do you have a part two in mind for this cruel logic, or do you think it just stands alone? Or, or does yeah. the development of the things that we're dealing with in the world determine what may be, uh, you know, putting some time on it and saying, yeah, part sure. two could develop, but let's see how things shift and turn.
1: You know, who knows what the future may bring. At this point, I I see it as a standalone novel, but I have a series of novels called theological novels that I am interested in exploring, and again, it's, it's sort of like combining philosophy and serial killers. I, th- you know, I'm hoping this will be a, a a new, uh, interest in people, you know, uh, putting together two opposite things, so to speak <laughs> to make them interesting, you know, yeah. make philosophy yeah. interesting again. Yes. I don't know, but all I know is that that's what I, that's why I, I look, I love, like I said, I love, um, I love serial killer stories and I love philosophy. So I, I'm, I'm putting the two together, and so I do have some other stories that I'm I'm working on, and they're actually rooted more in in true stories that have happened. But I'm going to be you know adding some fictional characters who who interact with the story um, that I think might be very interesting, uh, but we'll see.
0: Now I want to bring up. Um, so you're an award-winning screenwriter, right? You've been doing Hollywood movies for the past twenty years. Um, a more recent controversial film is my son Hunter. This is twenty twenty two. Let's just talk a little bit about that. Just how did that work out? and uh, what was that process like?
1: Yeah, so my son Hunter is a political satire, not a documentary. It's a political satire. It's a drama um, that's based on Hunter Biden's laptop. Now, of course, when we, when I first started writing it in 2021 or something like that, 22, um, it was, of course, still being suppressed, right? And and now all the facts have come out about how it was suppressed. Now it's all true. And, and um, but at the time it was still not promoted or it suppressed, it was suppressed in the mainstream media. And so, but there were journalists like Miranda Devine who put out her book, Laptop from Hell. Uh, although that came after my, after. I, f- I read that. I found out about it after I wrote the movie. It wasn't released until we started making the movie. But she had done a lot of reporting on it. And and so there was a lot of reporting in the New York Post and other uh, sources that actually gave a lot of the details of what was on the laptop. And we went, so the producers came to me and they said, you know, we want to do a movie on Hunter Biden's laptop, but we don't know what to do. You know, give us some ideas. And, and I said, you know, I don't want to do documentary. And they didn't either because, uh, you know there's a place for documentaries, but I don't know. And there's, but also I found it was so complex because here you have this, this, you know, as we now are seeing all these complex connections to all these, you know, uh, countries, whether it's Ukraine or China, or Russia and dirty business dealings with the Bidens, you know? Um, and, and of course the, sensational stuff was, the prostitutes and the drugs, you know, and that's, you got to have that in Hollywood movies. So that, you know, on the <laughs> one level, I'm like, well, this is a Hollywood movie because it's got the sex and drugs and rock and roll. That's but, for sure. But, but there's more <laughs> to it. Right. You know, but here's yeah. the interesting thing. When, wow. Both the producers and I, when we developed the story um, and, mm. and so they, they, they came to me and said, you know, yeah, what, what can we do? And I thought, well, you know what? I was really inspired by the big short, Um, and, and the Wolf of Wall Street kind of, I mean, the, the technique that was used where they, they do a political satire and, and they do a lot of creative things like they break the fourth wall where they talk to the audience and, you know, they do all these, you know, funny, quirky things that allows them to cover a lot of time and a lot of issues quickly. And that's what this was. And, and I didn't want to get bored and I want to pick the most highlights, but how do you, how do you link all these things together? Well, you can do it through satire because it's comedy and that allows you to make a lot of jumps and make connections that you couldn't do in a normal traditional story. And, and I realized that's what it needs to be. But also secondly, this wasn't a, it wasn't a, it was not a a political hit piece. I, I mean, like and both the producers agreed with me. We did not want to, uh, you know, write a movie that will show how bad Hunter Biden is and look at how, you know, this is what Hollywood does, right, with all their political enemies. You know, the Comey rule does it to Trump and, and uh, the, uh, with the loudest voice in the room to Roger Ailes. They just, they make these, their, their enemy, their, um, uh, the the politicians that they're critiquing or attacking they just making them into these absurd monsters you know and what was the Dick Cheney one um, I can't remember what that one was called but anyway they're all just ridiculous sort of cliche stereotypes and like you know what I wasn't interested in that and I actually felt a kind of sense of sadness for Hunter Biden because I saw this as this is a interfamily dysfunction that's deep father wow. son but also uh, elder brother who ended up dying, but it's a it's a three way sort of father son relationship, and there's a lot of dysfunction, but a lot of it's driven by this desire to be loved, to be accepted. You know, uh, it was wow. very deep personal, typical, universal family dysfunction stuff, only on an, ex- an extreme level because of the drugs and the sex and the crimes of the Bind family, right? And yeah. so we wanted to actually delve into that personal uh, relationship with the Bidens, um, yeah. you know, and that was the human drama that actually made me want to do the movie. And what's wow. interesting about it is, <laughs> although every leftist outfit attacked the movie, which is a sign that we did a good job because they felt they needed to attack it, and <laughs> yeah. right? Yeah. But some, it's interesting because some of them were like, yeah, but you know, they kind of made Hunter Biden kind of empathetic, you know? And they didn't understand this. Some of them thought we did it unwittingly, like we didn't realize we were making them empathetic. And others couldn't figure out why. And yeah, it's so funny because it's like they yeah. are so blinded by their ideology that they could only imagine demonizing their opponents. They don't understand how to wow. humanize opponents. And here we are, conservatives, filmmakers, we're humanizing uh, uh, our opponents and we're telling a good story about them And they don't get it. It just doesn't jive in their minds. They're that blinded by it. But that was also affirming and confirming to us that we did the right thing and we did it well. We did it right, you know? Wow. So yeah, I was kind of proud of that. And, um, you know, yeah. And and of course, Happy with the Performances were excellent by Mm -hmm. um, Lawrence Fox playing Hunter Biden and James, um, uh, John James playing um, uh, Joe Biden. Of course, in Hollywood, normally you can get Characters that look exactly like them that are great actors, but of course not when you're doing a m- movie about the Bidens, right? <laughs> so nobody in Hollywood would hardly work with us. We had to get only those who are <laughs> willing to give up their careers, right? But fortunately, they wow. still we still did a pretty good job because uh, Lawrence Fox looked pretty good as a hunter, and he was a fantastic actor. John James was quite heavy and 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 a lot more yeah. deep of a voice than than Joe Biden, but his acting was so well that you know you it drew you into the story anyway. I was able to put aside the fact that, okay, he doesn't look exactly like Joe. He doesn't talk exactly like Joe, Yeah. but he's got the character down. And that's yes. the most important is, is finding that's the true. soul of the character. So all that was happening. I think all that, that happened with that, with that movie pretty well. But of course, Hollywood would yeah. not distribute it. They couldn't get it distributed anywhere. So even to this day, you can only see it online streaming, um, at mysunhunter.com.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And, uh, you know for pretty i think a pretty good price i don't know if it's rentable or, or you have to buy it or not but yeah so that's where we were with that and uh i was kind of surprised that uh oh so so now that all this stuff that's now coming out and being covered on mostly on twitter not on in the mainstream media
0: still it's x now right it, it's x twitter yeah x. x it's like yeah, okay it's, sorry. i can't even keep up with it yeah, yeah. It's, it's kind of funny
1: <laughs> but, but the stuff that's now coming out it's so funny because i'm looking at this yeah. stuff and it it's not new. None of the stuff that they're recording exactly. on, Oh, and this email is where he's called him the big guy. It's like, oh, this stuff was, it was known years ago when I was writing the script. So nothing yeah. is new. So I'm kind of proud of the fact that I ended up picking all the most interesting things for the story that also happens to be the the, um, the revelations <laughs> now that are coming yeah. out about what was really going on. And, and so it's like, oh, wow. we picked the right, we picked the right component elements for the story. Um. Yeah. So I'm proud of that.
0: Wow. Yeah. That that's that's quite quite a journey, man. Uh, I love <laughs> one of the highlights. I'll just comment on real quick before the next question is you didn't try to demonize Hunter Biden. Like yeah. you just were honest to the process. And, and I think I mean he's that- a
1: pathetic.
0: He's yes, a tragic
1: we all know that yeah he's tragic right and and yeah. he's kind of a hero but he's a tragic hero in other words yeah. his bad choices lead to his demise and that's yeah. what a tragedy is all about but of yeah, course uh, in this think, in the reality it's not wow. going to happen that way right he's going to get away with his crimes sadly well, so uh, we actually yeah. deal with that in the movie as well i deal with the fact that we all know that justice is not going to be played out and so let's have a, let's see what a fairytale ending really is like in a movie, that kind of thing.
0: <laughs> amazing. Amazing. And I'm going to put links in the show notes, you guys. So as we just kind of go through these different, you know, screenwrites and movies and, and uh, Brian's books, you guys will be able to find all those details in the show notes. So let's kind of like even walk back to 2011 alleged, right? It, let's talk a little bit about, this is a screenplay. It's award-winning feature film. Um, what? Yeah. One best narrative uh, feature and actors awards and six major film festivals. That's phenomenal. Yeah, I, just let's do a brief overview on that real quick.
1: Honestly, I, I, I forgot about all that. <laughs> uh, but yeah, that was a fun, that was a fun movie to write. Uh, so that's yeah. based on the scopes monkey trial, right? So we, yeah. you know, and Fred foot was the investor and the, and the producer and, and executive producer that he really wanted to tell the true story that had been, you know, when you hear scopes monkey trial, what do you think, whatever it is, you think it's all based on this, This um, uh, propaganda of like these podunk, ignorant Christians standing up against the great edifice of science and knowledge. You know, it's just ridiculous. What does everyone know? Inherit the Wind, which was a play and a movie, even though it's like, I don't know, from the 60s or something, 50s. Everyone knows that. And yet, that is a complete farce. It's a complete falsehood. And um, so, Fred wanted to sort of well, let's tell the the true story, but be fair. Again, we're not going to demonize the way they demonize Christians. We're not going to demonize the atheists. But we wanted to show, you know, from from both sides, Clarence Darrow and William Jennings Bryan. Of course, we had some great actors, Fred Thompson. They're both deceased now. Brian Dennehy and Fred Thompson played those two titans, you know. And we show that that battle royale, as it's called, as it was called, um, but in a way that we also wanted to show the cult again. This is one of my themes: ideas have consequences. In that story, I said I wanted to deal with the consequences of this idea, not wow. just the trial and and the battle that was going on at the time but we we brought in something that was actually historically occurring at the time which was euthanasia yeah and how euthanasia was based on the social darwinian view it took darwinism and brought it to its logical conclusion in society mm. and of course now people say oh this that you know that that was misinterpreting evolution that's twisting it no actually it was yeah. just being consistent and that's the bottom line and clarence darrow actually did believe in in evolution. And he actually did believe in euthanasia. Mm. So he's really a, a villain. And mm. it's interesting because he's one of the greatest, you know, um, uh, uh defender, uh, l- lawyers in, in, liberal history, but he wow. was quite a, quite the monster. In fact, that was the guy before. And we brought this into the movie too the fact that before the trial, he had also, um, defended Leopold and Loeb, who were these two college kids who murdered a 14 year old boy Mm. and their defense literally because of evolution was still popular and well-known. And these kids were upper elites who Mm. just killed some kid that they happen to know, but they did it more out of a nihilistic sort of curiosity Mm. And so they were educated and they had actually studied, they were actually known about Nietzsche, Friedrich Nietzsche and his worldview <laughs> <and, laughs> um, as well as evolution. And so Clarence Darrow in the trial actually made the argument that, you know hey, these, wow. these boys believed and, it and, and we're being taught this. So can you blame them? If they've been taught that we're animals and there's no morality, you know're they're, they're, su- they're Ubermen, Ubermensch, they're overmen. Uh, mind blown why not wow i mean how can you blame them the point was was they're not to blame society has taught them this and and here he believes in it but he's also justifying it he was truly an evil monster you know and so uh anyway we brought a little bit about that reality and in other words this is all ideas have consequences in society it's not just this oh christians are Christians are idiots because they're suppressing science. No, it's if you're teaching this stuff, if you teach people that they're animals without morality, it's no surprise that they're going to act like animals without morality. Exactly. So these are the issues that we wrestle. With. But of course the, um, the movie alleged was definitely not, you know, not like my R rated, you know, cruel mm-hmm. logic or anything like that It was definitely yeah. a, you know, G rated for Christian type of story. But but um, I felt like, you know, we tried to deal with, like I say, wrestle with that, with a, f- with a fresh, more true to history perspective.
0: Yeah. And I just wanted to bring up a couple other things to stir up some interest just so, so people, you just have such a long list, Brian. I just want people to just be aware of, of what you've done, what you're doing, and, and even what you will be doing in the future. So let's talk a little bit about um, – You know, you're a founding member of the arts and entertainment ministries in L.A. We'll just take it from there and just tell us what you're a founding member of, what you're supporting, uh, and what's close to your heart in these days right now.
1: Yeah. Well, these are organizations that I've been involved in mostly when I was in L.A. Okay. Um, I've since moved out in the last few years um mm-hmm. but uh yeah i've been on boards i've been in like the biola task force which is for film uh it's it was like with hollywood professionals helping students to uh to you know adapt and come into the real world of mm-hmm. filmmaking and the yeah. arts and entertainment as a ministry to christian artists that was in la um yeah several of these these organizations i belong to where i've just tried to be a part of something that is is um, helping to inspire the next generation and also, and also communicate to the church a better appreciation for the arts in general, because mm. we have not had the best reputation. The church has not had the best reputation with the arts. Um, wow. You know, it's often rejected it because of the the risk taking that art is mm. the, the, uh, you know, it, yeah, mm. it sometimes pushes the, pushes the envelope and sometimes it goes too far. But the point is, is the church has tended to have, Less of a support of of art, and um, but we you know we've had our good days and bad days I think, but that's sort of the other part where you know I've even written books like Hollywood Worldviews, which was my my desire to help Christians watch movies more intelligently. Don't just throw out all the sex and violence. So I don't. It's all bad. Yeah, but also don't say well it's just entertainment. So it doesn't is matter. That st-
0: is that still being used in Christian colleges to this yes. day?
1: Yes, wow. it's still being wow. used in classes. He's 20 years old, and I did have an updated version, but because I talked a lot about Hollywood worldviews, literally, how worldviews are communicated through storytelling in movies and television series, right? And you know um, the more that you understand about an art, the better you can appreciate it, but also the more you can discern and not be manipulated by it, or not be, you know, bamboozled. So just like you know, so the more you learn about storytelling, you can watch a movie more intelligently, and appreciate it, but also see where you disagree and where you you don't want to be uh, controlled. Because storytelling touches us in the soul in an unconscious way. In some ways, you know, um, it 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 moves us, it affects us in non-rational ways right so you might be thinking rationally on this one level but the it's touching the story can be touching your heart in a way that's very different and so the more you're aware of what that what that is how that story does that then the more you're protected but the more you can also appreciate the good as well so it's discernment between the good and the bad
0: so talk really quickly about is it the miclat Ministries for for Mick Michael Lott. Heiser, Miklad. Yeah. So yeah. just talk a little bit about that. I'm just unfamiliar with it. I'm seeing it here, and it, it's oh, I'm just drawing some curiosity. for Well,
1: Miklad is now going to be called the Michael S. Heiser Foundation, and um I'm on the board for that because I discovered Michael Heiser's um theology uh, a decade ago. And he was writing about the divine council worldview in the Bible. He's an he passed away about a year ago. And he um, he he, but he wrote about uh, strange things in the Bible. Shall we say the stranger things in the Bible? Nephilim watchers, the divine council, all these weird things, you know. But he's a Bible believing so. But he's also not afraid to address real scholarship in the Bible that other Christians are afraid to address. And um, I discovered him because I was writing my um, what became my first novel, Noah Primeval. I was actually uh, writing it as a as a screenplay, and wow. I discovered his book on the internet before it was a book. It was he was just
0: it was like a starting manuscript to write. It he was just starting. Just out. a manuscript. Yeah. yeah,
1: he was he wasn't famous yet. He's now famous, yeah. um, but he wasn't famous at the time. And and I discovered it. And It blew my mind, and it opened my opened my eyes like Elisha's servant could then see the the, the the all the spiritual powers up there. Well, that's what yeah. happened with me and I realized there's a lot of stories here that I want to tell from the Bible that has this supernatural component that is kind of we miss. We miss a lot. And yeah. and and all these weird things in the Bible that we that we're afraid to deal with and that became my series Chronicles of the Nephilim which is now eight novels. I've got Chronicles of the Watchers which is about three novels now, and they're all integrated. And Chronicles yeah. of the Apocalypse. These are all these novels that I wrote, inspired by Mike's theology. So I got to know Mike real well, and and he put me on his board, and hmm. and um, yeah. So so that was uh, that was something that was life changing for me in terms of theology, but in a way that helped me to alter my my relationship and understanding of God in a very deep way.
0: Well, I mean, it's you're changing the world with with this. The story that you just covered here about knowing Mike Heiser and, and mm-hmm. seeing these these threads in him being this scholar that is w- you know willing to go into these areas that other people weren't you know I'm just looking at yeah. some stats here, Brian. Since 2012, your first novel series, Noah Primeval, it's been number one bestseller uh, in the top five biblical fiction spot for the past ten years. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, Even
1: right now, go there right now. It's it's number yeah. one in like several categories.
0: And your series of 15 novels have dominated uh, for top 20 in biblical fiction. So it's just, it's phenomenal. And, uh, I know who Mike Heiser is. I've known of known of him for years and I just think it's, it's noble and it's just honorable for you to be on that board because you speak so well of him and he's really loved it just in the community, um, of my listeners. You know, I never got Mike on the show. I reached out to him. Ah. I'd like to say like 21 and, um, he was busy because he really was drumming up a lot of interest. A yeah, lot of interest. He was and, uh, just
1: exploding. I mean, it, oh yeah. man. This is one of those things where we're know. like, Lord, why? Why do you take some of the best people? You know, but God used him in a great mighty way, and he's inspired yeah. many of people like me who have taken yeah. his teaching and we we've pushed it further and yes. into other realms. And so uh, Look, it, it's just part in the of that form of storytelling,
0: just in the, yeah. this form of storytelling, what you're doing, which we, we talked about a, a few years ago, last time I talked with you, Brian, the power of storytelling and just, it's, that's yeah. what the church is lacking in. Like you were speaking about earlier, the church does lack in that power of storytelling. Cause it's kind of like mundane. They just kind of read some churches, not all, not all Mike Heiser's church would have been, uh, you know, if you would have been at church with him and he would have been at the podium, you would have been gripping your seat, but yeah, <laughs> And uh, I love to see how, you know, God has this calling for you. You're obviously on the path. He's been opening doors for year, year after year after year and the abundance and the blessing that, yes. that you you are in God working in and through you to just open up these other paradigms. Some of us can see this really well. Some of us see this, but, but to get bigger picture revelation is, is key, especially in this age of technology, Brian. So let's, as we kind of start to wind down a little bit, just tell us like, um, anything cool going on lately? Did you get any cool vacations this past summer and what's on the horizon? Just what's going on in Brian Goodell's world?
1: Not a lot to be honest. You know, we moved to Texas actually a few, two and a half years ago and just loving it here. We escaped Los Angeles Wow, and, um, just been loving it but you know just trying just enjoying living a normal life and being you know heavily involved in our church and um trying to resettle in this listen we lived in california for 30 years so it's It's an adjustment it's a big adjustment because as bad as california has become Hmm. um and as bad as as the cities definitely are there's much beauty and there's much that we do miss from california and we realize how much we become californians you know and how we don't Certain ways that we don't fit in, even though our values are very much like um the Midwest and Texas and such yeah um there's still much of us that yeah we've we' have we are different people now too because of where we've we've come from, so you know it's it's been it's mm. been a lot of adjusting to that, and in the meantime then I'm just been you know trying to um continue to do my writing uh ministry <laughs> my writing calling um so I, I you know I usually write like a script a year, a movie mm-hmm. a year, and a book or two a year. But uh, I've slowed down lately, and I'm trying to get speeding back up again. And mm. so now, you know, I'm continuing my Chronicles of the Watchers series, um, as well as the next theological thriller novel. So now I've kind of got two pathways that I've got to to wow. work on, and we'll see if I can keep up the the pace there. But um, yeah, nothing nothing big, nothing special. Actually, just enjoying a normal life, but one that's I've got to focus. On this storytelling, and it really is a calling, because, as you mentioned, what I write is I do, you know my I, I love to, to I love to tell entertaining stories, but I also love yeah. to communicate truth and the kingdom of God in as wow. in as entertaining way as possible to people. And I really have received been receiving a lot of uh, responses from readers, you know, contacting me and just saying, you know, you've brought the Bible alive. The Bible is getting dry to me. You've brought it alive again, yeah. and I'm, it's. But I'm going back to the Bible to reread it. In other words, the, yeah. my storytelling is inspiring me to go back to the Bible, not just just read more of my books, but it's like, yeah, re- go back and reread that Bible, seeing it in, with fresh eyes. And that's exactly what happened with me in reading yeah. Michael Heiser's material, and and discovering yeah. this new thread line that's been there all along, and. Yep. Um, yeah and it's just inspiring christians to be able to uh understand mm-hmm. and interpret the bible through the ancient near eastern and hebrew mindset not our modern western mindset that has just yeah. transformed many people and it's been a a pleasure and an honor to be a part of that
0: yeah and we're we're just excited to see as you just keep working in your gift and and keep doing these things just bringing greater revelation and getting people to read their Bible again and ultimately develop a personal relationship with Christ. From my perspective, that's kind of the goal here on the podcast is we have a really wide spectrum of topics we cover. I don't want to leave anything out. I mean, don't get me wrong. There's certain things I'm like, nope, don't want to go there. But, you know, we don't want to be a stranger to these bigger ideas. The church has kind of boxed in a lot of this thinking. And what you're doing is blowing the roof off of it. And we're shooting up five, 10 stories in the ideas of what we really need, at least a a minute basis. uh, We got to have some language for this stuff. Um, And one thing I wanted to say earlier with the question that, you know, I had asked you uh, with cruel logic, was there anything that you wanted a Christian to see versus maybe, you know, a non-Christian that was reading it. And like, the reason I asked that is because I'm like visualizing and thinking just about when you're talking and I'm going, So many people are stuck in these narrow trajectories of what they they just want to stay right here, and and whether it's politics or whether it's everybody has hurts and pains and and the way that they were raised. But I'm hoping that it would just cause them to to take one little step over and go, oh, well, well, that's interesting, and it opens and widens this track. Not saying that you know. That's the answer, but getting people out of this narrow, aggressive you can't tell me anything we can't yeah. communicate, we can't sharpen on each other ideas that's really helpful, <laughs> so I highly recommend you guys go pick up Brian's new book, and uh Brian, let's close out. just give us some motivational words for my listeners just you know give us some edification here real quick,
1: oh. I don't what do you know, Rod.
0: <laughs> uh, we're living in crazy times. Give yeah, us a little yeah, bit of edification here. Just, you know. Uh, let me
1: tell you. Yeah. In fact, that, a lot of my storytelling, too, is a response and a reaction to the extreme polarity, the extreme hostility that is building in our culture. And I'm capturing that reality as well in my story. And I'm trying to show, at least, point in the right direction because stories aren't systematic theologies. They're not f- complete philosophical discourses. You know what I mean? Like uh, stories challenge you to think things through a little bit more. They challenge you to think from a different perspective. That's my goal, not to complete everything and to provide a complete summary of all truth or, you know, that's ridiculous. But, but I, I'm telling my stories to try to help people to start to see things differently and not fall prey to that very um, hostile uh, polarity that is breeding violence in this culture and i see it happening and i see it coming and it's getting stronger and i deal with that Mm. very issue um in in cruel logic ideas have consequences and violent ideas have violent consequences and we've got to we've got to somehow we've got to uh, band together Mm. against this and i don't know how you know there are people who are of differing viewpoints who are banding together you know, like those who support free speech, you've got left and right Democrats and Republicans who do believe in free speech and supporting it. But, uh, we need more and beyond that because the, the commanding heights of the culture have been captured by this woke monster. And at the heart of it is hatred and violence and separating people. So we're, we need to seek Mm -hmm. to draw together and stop this, demonization yeah. of your of your opponents
0: very very well said very well said that's that's important uh yeah brian it, it was an honor to have you uh here with me and, and just to go over this and i don't know if you knew this or not but you're actually in the introduction for the show so when you were on i think it was 2020 or 2021 at the very end of the episode uh, i asked you for some wind down words and you yelled freedom and you said <laughs> in, the, in the words of william Wallace, right so that's actually on in the intro to the show mm-hmm. so for all you guys listening where there's this like climax you know and you hear freedom being yelled that's that's brian here and right, that's cool yeah man tell people where they can find you uh and uh where where you prefer people to purchase the book you know if we can get some sure. people over there to to get a copy. Is this on Amazon? You know, just go through that real quick and we'll, look, and we'll, if you're, co- we'll if, close out.
1: If you're really curious about me as an author and all the things I've done in movies and all that, Gadawa.com is my website. There's a lot of stuff there to, to look through. But if you, if you just want to go straight to the books and just find out information about the books, what are the books about and all that, the best thing is just go to Amazon because all my books are exclusively on Amazon in paperback, Kindle, Audiobook, and some uh, are even in hardback. And, you know, you go there and you find like the Godawa's author page or the series page for Chronicles of the Nephilim, and it'll, it'll give you a big lowdown on what, what the books are about and what you can expect right there on Amazon and, and buy it right there. So, yeah, everything exclusively on Amazon. And my name is spelled G-O-D-A-W-A. <laughs>
0: it was a pleasure to have you with me and you guys that's it that's the episode i'm blown away this is something i'm gonna re-listen to after i launch it for you guys to listen to here and brian is really pushing the boundaries he's stretching the boundaries here and this is this is honorable you know and we're, we're a working body so his function is important because we all work together and we're supposed to be processing this information and encouraging each other through the process. So that's it. That's the show. Share this one with a friend, family member, with your coworker. God bless and goodbye.